0: Therapy Unwound and this month's Bookery Book of the Month. I am here and joined by the wonderful team. So we have Jeremy doing the production and we have Sophie here who's going to be talking about the book and we're in the new booth today. This is
1: the most exciting slash nerve-wracking record yet I think. We were both saying um, just as we were
0: warming up that although we've recorded many times now this somehow feels nerve wracking.
1: We've got Jeremy in the room. We've got Jeremy in the room. <laughs> Normally we just send him messages through the mic. Yes. But this is um this is real life, live feedback.
0: Absolutely. And we have proper mic booms and official mics, and we have coloured leads and it's all
1: looking good. Yeah. Every everything in this room is incredibly professional now. It is. Including us. Including us. We know <laughs> what we're doing now. Yeah. We've had I think this is recording number nine. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, so this is maybe the ninth or tenth episode going up. So I'm really excited because today on the Bookery Book of the Month, we are looking at James
1: Nestor's book on breath. We certainly are.
0: So, how did you consume this book?
1: I listened to the audio version through Audible, and it cemented my theory that Jenny only picks authors with good American accents. <laughs> there is a theme coming out of this uh, bookery um, series but yes yeah, so I listened to it on audiobook and actually I'm very pleased I did because um, it was read by the author and I really really enjoyed that uh, as a format.
0: I have to say that I actually listened to it on Audible as well mm. I didn't have the book and um, I'm glad I did because I think for the subject matter was quite hard hitting. Yeah. It was quite dense. Yeah. Halfway through I was thinking flipping heck I don't think I could have read it um, I completely agree.
1: And actually, as I was downloading it, I read a couple of the reviews and found that he he mostly had five star reviews, but one one was a one star review that was just like boring. This book is too long, too slow. And I thought, hang on, it's not a piece of fiction. It's not like that you're waiting for the plot to spice up. Mm. And then actually as I was listening to it, I got that same impression that some bits of it were quite um heavy going yeah. and that actually it was his accent that carried me through. <laughs> yeah.
0: It was it was it is a quite a dense book and the subject of the book is our breath. Mm. Which I didn't think I'd ever be making a podcast about.
1: No, I, I didn't think I'd ever be giving it as much brain space. No. I was so totally in the passive category when it mm. came to my own breathing. My body does it. <laughs> I don't have to think about it. It's one of the very few things in life that just gets taken care of for us. Yeah, like heart rate. Yeah, great. My heart beats. Job done. Yeah, brilliant. Crack on. I won't know about it when it stops. No, (laughs) like exactly. As far as I'm concerned, from here to the end, it's always going. I don't think I've been as humbled by a
0: book for a long time.
1: Yes. I I feel like maybe we should disclose we're coming at this from very different. So I think um, what's great about Jenny and I reading these books together is that we come at them from such different positions because you come at it from a place of knowledge and understanding Mm. and knowing the science and having absorbed a lot of that research yourself previously, whereas I don't. I come at it from completely a kind of uneducated, just downloaded it on Jen's recommendation kind of stance. So I think I bet we've taken it at very different levels. You say that and then,
0: I mean, I've also grown up in a family that asthma has been a central point in uh-huh. our so many yeah. of my family members have asthma so we've known it in the Betego form of breathing what they look into and in the book it's been I've been aware of that since I can remember but do you think I actually do
1: any of that stuff <laughs> no. I'm really glad to hear you say that because there were parts of it where I thought How have I been doing this so wrong all my life? Like, and okay, I feel like very early out of the gate, we need to, you need to understand that if you are to read or listen to this book yourself, the word mouth breather comes up so many times and in england that's not a good thing no so at you know at school growing up as a teenager if it was like oh you're a mouth breather yeah. it was kind of a bit gross it was just somebody's very breathy yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be no. Um, and obviously there, there was so much in this book around different types of breathing and the benefits of breathing and you know the historical scientific evidence and all these things mm. and it really made me question how have i got to 32 years of age without knowing or thinking about this more mm. because it kind of made me feel like, have I been doing this wrong the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm still stood here. Yeah. <laughs> so hang on a minute. I can't be doing it that wrong because I'm still doing it. Yeah. But yeah, it's fascinating, like you say, that I think um that there's a difference between maybe understanding where he's coming from and knowing it and yeah. then living it. Definitely.
0: And I think before we get into the book proper, I just want to have a bit of a reflection with you mm. about the fact that we are not only listening to another beautifully read book by another American guy. Our last book was John Deloney's Redefining Anxiety. And in that review, we both said we would like to hear more of Mrs. Deloney. Yeah. In this book, I found it very male heavy. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's single, if he's mm. married, if he's got a partner, but you know what? Mm. Whoever is supporting him in the background hats off to you Yeah, because that was an obsession.
1: So I really got from it that he didn't have a partner. It was my assumption that I made mm. from it just because a lot of the talk around like when he was taking part in the studies and things, it was very much I, I, I. Yeah. You know, it, was, it wasn't it was kind of how it impacted family life or there was just no mention. No. So either you're right. He's got a partner who just said, no, thanks. I don't want to be mentioned or... um. He is single and this has become his relationship. Yeah. Mm.
0: And I think it's, it's in, it is now acknowledged in my head that it's important to give acknowledgement and huge thanks to the guys who are behind the authors of these books. Oh, yeah. And just supporting their mad research, life decisions, all the rest of it. Yeah. And so. Yeah, it really takes over, doesn't it? Yeah. So Mr. or Mrs. Nestor, the other well one who yeah. is behind, <laughs> behind the science. Um, thank you very much because you've allowed
1: James to give us an
0: actually really eye-opening, wonderful book on breath.
1: So I did Google James Nestor because um, because I didn't know much about him other than mm. um, what Danny and I discussed ahead of choosing the book. Yeah. And I was really interested to find he's from a very journalistic background. Yeah. And actually, the breath book has was really such a passion project into kind of exploring and understanding and pushing forward that kind of scientific understanding, and I I found that really fascinating because obviously, when we're talking about the lovely John Deloney, Mm -hmm. that came from a point of he it was very clear that he was a doctor in the field. You know, he he kind of had that very strong medical background and understanding. where well, it's really fascinating this time that he didn't. It was just an interest that became an obsession that became a book. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably completely changed his the way he works now. Totally. Absolutely. So the book starts in a living room mm.
0: in a tumble down Victorian red brick. I yeah. And um, with a boombox and a cassette tape. Yeah. And I love the fact that he had a history of anxiety and stress. Yeah. Couldn't sleep. He had had pneumonia twice within two years mm. and he comes he said he kept
1: eating meals out of the same bowl yes wasn't that the saddest image in i your just mind? thought
0: this guy is crumpled yeah
1: he is so that was really sad and i also so this is something that i, where I saw a real parallel between the opening of john deloney's redefining anxiety and this book was that actually it started with such a personal kind of personal experience that was highly emotive and highly visual Mm. so you could really put yourself in that position when he moved on to describe our patient who had you know a tiny mouth (laughs) not enough space for his incisors and all these kinds of things and then he's like it's me yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh okay this you're really setting the scene as to where your personal involvement comes in and I think um I always enjoy that just because it, it really kind of helps you understand the why, yeah. like his why yeah. that he was so driven and so obsessional. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of, it was set in a very sad way. It starts yeah. in, a very, it starts in a very
0: sad way. He basically has this somatic experience. So this body experience that his brain doesn't understand mm. when he listens to this cassette on this boombox, this breath class that his doctors advised him. And it's just like, Wow. And yeah. he, he just has this, his body basically just expires a load of gunk. Mm.
1: And he just ends up in this sweaty ball of yes. mess, <laughs> which I also thought when, you know, when he says, I'm sopping wet, I touch my hair and it's sopping, you think, okay, that is detail. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's kind of like that, that's a lived experience that you yeah. really want us to kind of like understand and get into on that point. But then, he goes into the Stanford experiment, yes. which is basically what this book is centered yeah. around. Isn't it? What were your impressions of his partner in crime, Olsen?
1: <laughs> that he also doesn't have a partner? Yeah. If that's fair. Yeah. That they they obviously... I mean, I, I feel like it was very clear that both of them had quite a vested interest in this because it was such an extreme experiment. They had both spent six grand just, yeah, getting, just getting in the experiment. And then Olsen moving across the road... And like, you know, moving country. And I think the very first descriptive word he uses about him is jet lagged because he's just flown in from, is it Oslo? He comes oh, somewhere. some Yeah. Some Scandinavian, Scandinavian country. country. Yeah. So it's like the investment in the airfare, the investment in the time off, the, you know, renting the house, renting the house, running around um, town in his pajamas. But again, I think heavy yeah. in detail, yeah, heavily descriptive, you know, even to the point where if I close my eyes, I could see them with their. like the tape around their face and oh the the lip mouth taping yeah 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 and it's just kind of like at some point you think this is great good really good level of detail i am really imagining it and in the other side you think can you just tell me what the findings were yeah (laughs) I i don't know if i need to live this day by day with you
0: although the the mouth taping i was really interested in so my selfish kind of like Lived experience with my mouth. Yeah. is that when I was in my very early twenties, I had eight teeth removed. Oh wow! And I had train tracks put on, and my mouth was shunted around. Uh-huh. I like couldn't believe. And I have a permanent bruise on the roof of my mouth where my tongue just kind of like clams shut because there's not enough room now in my mouth for my tongue to sit. Oh wow! And I've known that that's a problem. Mm. I hadn't realised that that's actually why I mouth breathe. Yeah, because there's not enough room within my skull for my sinuses so mouth taping is where you get kind of like some people were using gaffer tape across the whole lot oh, were not they yeah. it's horrible uh-huh. but i actually used a band-aid yeah. two nights and i just band-aided my lips together to see if i could nose breathe while i was asleep i lasted about 15 seconds yeah before wanting to kind of like Too claustrophobic get it, off. It like, get it off get it off nuts.
1: so get i off. have um a much 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 more milder version but the other way around where my i get i'm prone to sinus infection okay and actually um my nose uh, like i i feel like i sound really nasally now you don't but i think that's just self-fulfilling but sometimes i feel very nasally which is yeah. so sexy this podcast record isn't it? <laughs> and it's the same way i feel like my nose is blocked and then i'm very reliant on <sighs> like yeah. mouth breathing yeah and again again i think probably because the term mouth breather yeah. is so unpleasant it just makes you feel kind of at a disadvantage. Quite I don't want to conscious. be a mouth breather. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, it will cover it in more detail, I think, but listening to how actually the way that humans have evolved and mm-hmm. our skulls have changed and our mouths have changed. Yeah. How much of an impact that's had on our breathing. It kind of makes you think, blimey, no wonder, no wonder <laughs> we're all struggling. No wonder we all snore. Yeah. Like when we've, we're living with all these things.
0: Whilst I was listening to this book, because I've I've heard it now about four times, Mm. I just wanted to get it into my head, which is a joy of Audible, actually. You don't have to read a book four times, but you can chop tomatoes for a salad while you're listening to it, which is great. But I decided that I would start doing my workout as a nose breather. Okay. So I swing kettlebells quite happily, and I can lift weights and do my stuff, and it's fine. And I have a great workout in the morning. Until I started nose breathing. Yeah. Oh, my word. I could swing a kettlebell for about 20 seconds before I felt my head was literally going to explode, explode. with air. Yeah. And I had this moment three days into this where this is really unsexy. The gunk that came out of my sinuses <laughs> yes. was just like, how was that in my head? Yeah, I know. And then I could smell, but smell on acid. Yeah, It was just like, that smells like mint. Yeah. Wow. And that lasted for about five days, but I couldn't, I I didn't know how to continue learning how to breathe through my nose comfortably Mm. so it's all built back up again yeah I need to find a routine of doing that
1: yeah I mean I completely agree with you because I um, do regular outdoor exercise Mm. which involves quite a lot of running yeah and things that make you get out of very out of breath and your heart rate really high and actually in that moment I do not consider my breathing at At all. all it's just whatever it needs to be to get me to the end of the road or up the hill or whatever you know and actually Scientifically, it's probably, I'm probably not breathing in a way that is benefiting my body mm. as well as it could. And actually, now I've read this book and have a deeper level of understanding, I'll probably be an awful lot more conscious about how I'm taking the air in and how I'm expelling the air. Mm. But in that moment, just <laughs> you, breathe. It's just breathe. And this is what I found so fascinating is that <laughs> I think instinctively we just breathe in all those different situations in life, whether you're exercising, feeling anxious in a moment of stress, trying to fall asleep, finding calm. Mm. You kind of know the very basics in what you need to do with your breath to get you there. So, you know, if I start feeling a bit anxious, breathe in, breathe out, you know, yeah. like slow your breathing, deeper breath, and that works. But had I understood what it might be like to only live with my nose or only live with my mouth? No, no. I'd never thought about it, not no. for one minute.
0: I thought it was interesting when Olson and, and James Nestor went on a run. Yes. And yeah, agreed they tried so olsen i think is a bit more obsessive even than james Netter yeah yeah from why because olsen takes james on this kind of like run around the park <laughs> and james nearly died yeah because <laughs> they were trying to do a run but only breathe four to six times a minute yes. or something something ridiculous it's not enough no and it's just like wow guys you're yeah. getting to the edge of my ability to kind of go i'm i'm with this good
1: good idea (laughs) great idea but i'll leave you to it (laughs) but it's also i mean could you imagine the embarrassment of going into hospital what's wrong with him well he was doing this thing where he's only breathing six times but at the same time he was running a kilometer at speed (laughs) and yeah his mouth's taped up but don't worry about that i mean no and this is what therapy unwound is about isn't it is the understanding that there are levels Mm. in which we all access and there are different levels, and I think what you do so brilliantly with therapy unwound is say here's the information, and this is the information that is applicable to your daily life, yeah, but then understand that if you were to suddenly get much deeper into that topic, yeah. that the you know the research and the work goes much further, but fundamentally, for most of us for our daily lives, what is beneficial and helpful is to understand the why, the where, the how yeah. the, you know the benefits of better breathing, yeah. We're not going to be running around a park with our, no. you know, nose taped up or our mouths taped up, pushing yeah. ourselves to the edge of, like, passing out. Yeah, because <laughs>
0: because carbon dioxide apparently is a really good gas that yeah. you need to get really involved with. <laughs> yeah. But I think you're right. I think the the joy of the podcast and therapy unwound and indeed cornerstone therapies, my daily practice studio, is that we take these mavericks mm. who are on the edge of clinically insane. Yeah. And incredibly passionate and go, well, how's it going to help you going around Waitrose, Sainsbury's? Mm. You know, how's it going to help when you're trying to get the kids ready for school? Are you going to be conscious of your mouth breathing yeah. when Ted won't do his laces up and you've got Lucy throwing her crayons out mm. the window? I mean, how how is that going to help? I think what was interesting for me was how... This very lived experience that he he had in that rundown Victorian house, mm. that experienced living, led to him really wanting some empirical evidence of breathing. Yeah, yeah. and both, but both of them leading to evidence-based practice. Yeah, which actually is my cornerstone <laughs> within it's,
1: practice. So I, the entire time I was listening, I was thinking, this is exactly what Jenny does: no, knowledge mobilization mm. and saying here's what I believe, here's yeah. what I've found, here's what anecdotal evidence is telling us, yeah. now I want the cold, hard data. Yeah. And, you know, some of the breathing techniques and the illnesses and ailments you're talking about, the initial research was done in the 1800s. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, was- with the irregular heart, was it called? It had a very sweet name for what is essentially heart disease, I Yes. Think. <laughs> and, the, and also the... um The guys on the Civil War. Yes. But then Civil War, but then First World War, Second World War, Vietnam War people. Yeah. So this is actually something that is obvious. It's it's obviously post traumatic stress yeah. and things. But um, I just found that so fascinating that yeah. the research hadn't caught up,
0: totally or lost. <laughs> it,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what I was really fascinated at the end of the book, they look at carbon dioxide. Yes. And there's, I mean, it would never have got scientific ethic approval Fine, now. Yeah. It's just like, If I took that to my university now, they'd say absolutely not. <laughs> but the scientists basically took a load of monkeys and took their amygdalas out. Mm. And that's part of your brain, which allows you to sense fear. Yeah. Which basically these monkeys died. And there is a syndrome, which I've completely forgotten the name of right now, where people just don't pick up fear because mm. the amygdala is basically not working properly. Mm-hmm. But... If you have one breath of carbon dioxide in an inhaler, yeah, suddenly you can feel. Mm. And what they were finding out at the very kind of like beginning of the last century was, if you give this um, this gas to catatonic sufferers, yeah. psychiatric patients, suddenly it can just kind of like kickstart the brain, yeah, where drugs haven't. Mm. And that research was, you know, well known.
1: Apparently, mm.
0: for fire brigades. Had the gas on hand to help people out of a panic attack after a fire.
1: Well, that makes sense,
0: but they don't have it now. <laughs> no,
1: but is it is it even as simplistic as the brown paper bag? Trip? Yes, because actually, all you're doing is limiting the amount yes. of oxygen and Perfect. yeah, and it you know again, I think take for me as mm. a non scientific, non medical yeah. woman woman of the streets, taking oh, so <laughs> yeah, but taking what I have from this breath book mm. is that actually there are there is more space in my brain now to realize okay why the breath is making me feel better yeah why you know i was so so fascinated with some of the studies that he was interested in on things where you know breathing had cured cancer was one yeah. claim that a woman had breathed her way out of cancer yeah. now personally i cannot see how that is possible no but i do know many of my friends who have used the hypnobirthing technique for giving birth to their yeah. children which is essentially Breathing, breathing and really concentrating on your breathing. Yeah. And actually, my friend, my friend um Hannah, who learned hypnobirthing for her first child, now hypnobirths in any stressful situation or any painful situation or any. So what she's really learned is how to apply good breathing yeah. to every situation in her life.
0: That's fascinating. It's
1: brilliant. And so you know, so she might she won't mind me saying this because um it's quite a cool story in hindsight. But her second baby was actually born in their car because she laboured so much quick. She lives in um, Worcester Park near Kingston. Mm. She managed to mistime her <laughs> labour with rush hour. Mm-hmm. And she laboured very, very quickly. And yeah. the traffic moved very, very slowly. And she pulled into the hospital car park. Um, she wasn't driving, thankfully, <laughs> but gave birth to the baby wow. on, on her own while her husband was trying to find a, a nurse or a doctor. And when the midwife said, how did you do that? She said, I breathed. It was just." And she said she just had to go to a very primal place where it's like, It's just me and you, baby. You've got to come out. Yeah. (laughs) You've decided not to go for the the conventional medical route. Yeah. And she applied her hypnobirthing and her breathing. Yeah. So I don't want to do that. No. (laughs) But I would like the next time that I can feel myself getting very stressed to just be able to take a moment, do my breathing Mm. and understand that I can change the way that my body feels. Yes. With that action.
0: Yes. Because it all calms the heart rate. Yeah. Calms the blood pressure. Easy. And I think that's, that's the one thing I just wanted to take out of the book really
1: was that ease. Yeah, because something else I thought as the voice of the streets (laughs) was how brilliantly accessible he kept saying, doesn't matter about your gender, doesn't matter about your weight, doesn't matter about your fitness levels, this breathing, I'm not going to tell you this is only accessible Mm. if you lose a stone or if you find, you know, you were 10 years younger, it would have been better. He said it doesn't matter. When he divides the book up by number of breaths, mm. he, he even says your life is 600 million breaths yeah. on average. If you've used up 600 of them, yeah. but you'd like a few more, there's still time to do that. And it's kind of that. I have really appreciated how he was saying there's an entry level for everybody here yeah. in this book. And I think quite often with the type of book that breath is, people feel like, oh, it's not going to be for me because I don't know enough. Yeah, or I'm not fit enough, or I'm not young enough. And he was very blatant that, nope, doesn't matter.
0: I think you're right there, completely. I also like the fact that there is different parts of the book that interests different people on different levels. Yeah. And I think not only can you breathe better no matter where you are in life, mm. you can access this book in different chunks of your life. Oh, yes. Um, there was one point... Where Olsen says he was talking about um the Stanford experiment that I will not go into on this podcast Mm-mm. because it's way too complicated and you actually need to listen to the book. About eight to
1: chapters it. of the book. Like,
0: wow. <laughs> but um there's this point where Olsen says, I do not want to, but I am curious.
1: Yes. Yes. But how relatable is that? Yeah. I mean, looking at you who's just finishing her dissertation yeah.
0: on a I do not want to, <laughs> yeah. but I am curious. <laughs> and I thought that is kind of like the yeah. <laughs> the headline for me on this book, I do not want to, mm. but I am curious. And so you do end up that curiosity takes over and it puts it you on this journey. It
1: really does. And I I you know, I know from our work here on Therapy Unwound and from your work at Cornerstone that quite often it is that curiosity to prove what we know anecdotally to be true. Mm. So the number of people that will tell you a holistic treatment or a in brackets unconventional treatment got them through pain got them through trauma got them through something it's still seen as woo 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 because it's not med because these trials aren't done because there's not the medical evidence and I guess that that curiosity is actually saying I want this to be cemented. I want this to be taken seriously. And
0: that's when science becomes scientism. It becomes not science, but a science religion. Yes. It's it's just like, well, it has to be scientific, therefore, because otherwise it's going to be wrong. Mm. Well, you can't really say that to someone who's hypnobirthed in a car (laughs) and has a very healthy baby and is doing fine. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Or equally somebody who tells you that their acupuncture, weekly acupuncture is helping their depressive state, you can't turn around and say no, no. No evidence of that because it's a personal ever. You know, it's personal evidence, which
0: Absolutely. I know
1: is something we share. But I think, and it, perhaps it goes back to them this being a very male-heavy, male-dominated book. Yes. Sometimes it's like mm, I just need the evidence.
0: Yeah, mm. and I think the, the really irritated is the wrong word. It just you know when you kind of like get rubbed up the wrong way, mm. just kind of like knocked. That there was this wonderful opera singer. Mm. and I can't even remember her name I think her name was mentioned once yeah it was but it was just the fact that she was an opera, opera singer an anarchist and she went to Tibet yeah to learn basically fire breathing as yeah. far as I can work out and I don't think there was many women that were upheld in this book not that I'm on a feminist rant right now but it was just interesting and also there was my favorite chapter was actually chapter seven about chewing.
1: Oh yes, yes, yes.
0: And there was a woman there that was present when James Nestor has this quite revealing time in the mm. middle of the Paris catacombs. Mm. And she was known as red. Yeah. And I thought actually her experience of being around the skeletal forms mm. of our ancestors, mm. that could have been drawn out a,
1: a lot more. Yes, I completely share that. And actually I found um right at the beginning of the book where he touches on how um humans have over time evolved to make their breathing worse yeah i found that so fascinating and i was instantly thinking back to every like museum that i've walked through where you see the neanderthal skull yeah and how differently shaped they are i have always in that really superior smug way thought oh thank god you know thank yeah. god our faces have changed yeah and this was the first time somebody said well actually in this instance the evolution has taken us back Mm. in our progression and and although i don't necessarily think that humans are the only people to struggle only species to struggle with their breathing Mm. i did think it was really fascinating that actually you know the shape of our jaw our jaws coming back and everything becoming so small and our larynx dropping so that we could speak Mm. actually all of that has impacted our ability to breathe you know effectively and so quickly because a lot of what
0: he was saying with um how he had found the skulls in the catacombs Mm. and other places but that was most marked for me in the book was that he was saying that this was just around the time of the industrial revolution yeah so we're talking about 200 years ago yeah it's not far and the difference was is that we started processing our food yeah and we stopped chewing yeah like literally that was it Mm. there was nothing for our mouths to do. No. So our masseter muscles, which are the strongest muscles in our body, yeah. they exert about 180 to 200 pounds of pressure per bite on the back teeth when yeah. you're really biting down. They became weaker. Yeah. You know, there was nothing to do. The the mouth became smaller and our relationship with food, which I've often found really interesting, especially through the journalist Michael Pollan. Mm-hmm. His In Defense of Food by Michael Pollan totally changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I read that about Well, when it came out, so it must have been over 10 years ago. But yeah, our relationship with food is so fundamental with how we have
1: evolved. Yeah. And it's not always a good thing. No, the introduction of fire and, you know, all of, and like you say, processing has just completely changed what our bodies need to do. Although saying that, (laughs) hearing about our, um, what were they, masseter muscles. Masseter muscles. I mean, the amount that I can tense mine, I'm quite glad they've weakened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I wouldn't have any teeth left.
1: I was just imagining the headaches, if they were even stronger than they are now. But I mean... Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? And one of the themes around that was that the human race evolved to become superior in many ways, like learning to cook our food and um, cemented our survival. Yeah. But it has had repercussions. Definitely. And I think it was the first time I'd, in a very, very, very long time I'd stopped to think, huh, isn't that funny? We're so conditioned to think progress and evolution is always positive. Mm. <laughs> and that, I mean, this feels quite deep when what I'm really talking about is um, how it's impacted our breathing, but it's quite a nice metaphor, really, for that. Actually, progression is not yeah. always positive progression. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes things evolve, and there are consequences. Definitely, don't turn your food to mush. No, stop. Yeah, stop eating everything that's easy. I mean, my love of ice cream. There's not much chewing in that, is there?
0: Well, to be honest, <laughs> I think that's that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to let that one go. Yeah, we'll let
1: that one go. <laughs> um, but no, I thought, yeah, so much, so much to learn, and I, I really do agree with you that i learned things probably at a very different level to you you know or i accessed yeah. things I at a different access level. Thing, yeah it? yeah
0: i think the one thing that i really as an anatomist mm. i really kind of went oh yeah that's that's the thing was in the two chapter mm. chapter seven there was this whole thing where you get to the point where you know the stuff, you know the textbooks, you've seen the results, you've seen the... And then there's this point where you just have to go down yeah. into the depths and get your hands on this stuff. Yeah, And for him, it was going to the catacombs in Paris, but for me, it was going to the dissection lab. Yeah, And I had spent years looking at anatomy textbooks. I knew exactly where the attachments were and all the rest of it. But actually, there was something about going into lab and going... Now we know, yeah, and there's that connection with it, and I think there's he expressed that beautifully. Yeah, that needs to kind of go. Forget the textbooks. I just need to get my hands on it and see the shape of this. Yeah, what's the shape of our history? What's the shape of our story? Mm. And each form offering a different story within yeah. that theme.
1: Yeah, which and like you say, there could be that. That could be the whole book, you know, the, be reams and reams written about that experience and on its own, yeah, um, without everything else around it. So, yeah, fascinating. So, in my googling of James Nestor, I did find his first book was actually all around the free diving and the yeah, free breathing in Greece. Yeah, but I think that must have been really where his exploration of how that was possible mm. came about, and because he really has, for a journalist, really has taken quite a turn into anatomy and into you know the, yeah. the inner workings of our body which isn't necessarily an expected step yes. <laughs> you wouldn't expect to to go from that because i think some of his original right you know he's like a sports background yeah. and sports interest so actually he's really taken that to the extreme which mm. if anybody listening knows jenny is something they share yeah <laughs> you can't just have a casual interest no
0: you have gotta go deep dive.
1: <laughs> yeah, deep dive get your hands dirty understand it for yourself Although I think he did not
0: deep dive enough into cats. Oh, yes. <laughs> so just to wrap this up, I, there's this thing about snoring in the book and um, how there's this, he basically implies that humans are the only animals that have learned how to suffocate themselves when they're asleep yeah. by snoring. And I was looking at Finchley, who sadly isn't here for the podcast no, today.
1: he's not in the studio. He's not in the booth.
0: But um, Finchley snuffles and snuffles yeah. and all the rest of it. And I was thinking, James got it all wrong. And then I remember his kitten, the vet's always saying, well, you know that Finch actually needs braces. Mm. I was like, what? He said, he's got a cracking underbite.
1: <laughs> well, there we go. And I was like, oh, right, okay. The That's evolution of Finchley, yeah. yeah. And what does he eat? yeah yeah there we go <laughs> although i have yeah i've known a good few dogs in my time that snore as well so it's definitely not an, it's not an not. experience exclusive to humans but um maybe that is a growth area braces for cats and dogs
0: can you imagine it Well, <laughs> yes. round here you yeah, really yeah. can imagine
1: it <laughs> it's, seeing as, for anybody that's not aware our town is home to the super vet yes noel fitzpatrick Yep, that is probably in his five-year plan yeah but yeah
0: absolutely so Thank you for joining us for this month's Bookery Book of the yeah. Month.
1: And what are we doing next month? We are drinking wine. We are drinking wine. <laughs> We've
0: got two guests coming, Lisa and Carrie, And they're two of my closest friends. And I have to say, there is a delight in setting up a podcast because basically uh, it's a great excuse to sit down with all the best people in the universe. Yeah, and extract all the, yeah, extract all the exciting information. And from them. the four of us are going to be reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm. So we're coming right away from the body we are we've looked at anxiety we've looked at breath and now we're looking at the daily atomic habits that make successful lives successful well there we go and um so we're looking forward to that so if you'd like to join us in the next bookery book of the month make sure you check out your local independent bookstore that have kept us all reading through all the lockdowns and purchase your version of james clear's atomic habits or you can download it
1: yes listen to it audibly audibly
0: audibly yeah audibly. audibly the thing with the audible version is that there are links to the pdf workbook on there yeah. so you can always download the stuff that we'll be talking through if you're getting the hard copy there is also the atomic habits workbook and there's stuff within the actual book as well so we'll be going through all of that at the same time brilliant so yeah we look forward to seeing you on our next bookery book of the month thank you so much for joining us at therapy unwound thank you for liking following sharing and thank you also for um subscribing over on to ko-fi it really helps us out that's fantastic and yeah go well be blessed and keep safe Take care. see you soon Bye. bye